2: plushcare.com slash weight loss.
1: Scoopy Radio, in your airwaves, on the plane, on the train, everywhere you need to be. I am Brandon Scoopy Robinson. Make sure to follow me on Twitter at Scoopy, Instagram and Snapchat at Scoop underscore B. And make sure, most importantly... That you all subscribe to the Scoop B Radio podcast, which is available on all podcasting networks, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, TuneIn app, Stitcher app, iHeartRadio, or simply by visiting ScoopBradio.com. 2.1 million streams last year. Anyone from the voice of Siri, DJ Khaled, Pete Sampras, Charles Barkley, and a myriad of other people. And when you want to talk about somebody who grinded it out, none other. Then my main man on the line, Fred up of the founder of Mediatakeout.com. What's going on, sir? Going be radio, yeah. How's it going, Scoop? I'm happy. I'm glad that you are on the line. We have been trying to get this done, and I think this is the one. Um, Media Takeout, or better known now as MTO News, literally has been mentioned everywhere. Good morning, America, the New York Times. MTV News, Page Six, New York Post. Uh, You guys have broken some pretty big stories, Uh, anything from Remy Remini Ma's criminal charge to Michael Jordan's divorce to Kim Kardashian's first pregnancy. My my first question for you is, um, what were the early days uh, like for you, particularly coming from Wall Street and being a corporate lawyer? well it's it's definitely
2: different right like you're you're going from corporate law to you know talking about ratchet celebrities and uh <laughs> gossip it's definitely a different world, but I always knew that I wanted to be an entrepreneur, and I always knew that I wanted to do something and start the kind of business that I actually enjoyed getting up and going to in the morning so while I had a great time at Wall Street, you know I learned a lot it was you know I made a good a good amount of money I always knew somewhere in the back of my mind. That this wasn't for me this is a perfectly good job they treated me very well there but it was it just wasn't for me and so i saved up all the money that i could while i was there i took advantage of kind of you know the opportunity to to um work after work so after i'd come home from a full day's worth of work i'd do a lot of reading do a lot of studying mm-hmm. up on different um uh, uh um industries and eventually i came up with the idea to start my
1: own business and then i left one of my closest friends in college used to run in my dorm room all the time and and would talk about media takeout. And I literally would ask him, what the hell is that? Is that like DoorDash before DoorDash? What is media takeout? And uh, when he would tell me about some of the stories that were going on, I kind of looked into it. And, you know, from what I understand, uh, the Wendy Williams show uh, was kind of, a seminal point for you um, in, in your career. Um, the one, did you guys track impressions and, and um, backlinks back then? What were you guys looking like in your first viral story? And I mean, walk me back through those days in 2006. What were they like? Well, um, yeah, you made, you made a, a bunch of interesting
2: points right now, a lot of points that I think a lot of people right now take for granted. We were one of the first companies to actually use analytics to drive our stories. Mm-hmm you know with now you you know analytics is a huge part of digital media and every single company you know spends a ton of time you have you know entire departments dealing with analytics but at the time when we first started back in 2006 there really were no uh, major media companies that were using analytics to see what stories were doing well and what stories weren't um and it certainly wasn't driving the editorial what you know sure. stories that were performing well or getting a lot of clicks right Back in 2006, we're not what's driving the editorial. What was driving the editorial is whatever the whim of the reporters or the editors would want. Um, so we came in and we, we looked, I looked at it as a business. And I was, you know, the first thing that I came in there is I was like, well, we're going to start a, a blog and it's going to be silly and it's going to talk about celebrities. And, you know, half of it is not going to be serious. But on the back end, I was going to run it like a real business. I was going to, you know... Take a look and every day, take a look at kind of what, where, what stories were performing well and give the, the readers more of those and figure out what stories weren't performing. And so, you know, well in, deeply ingrained in media takeout in 2006 and certainly now was this idea that the audience and the analytics is what drives the content. And I think that's what made that was one of the big things that made us different. But your other point is, you know, what I think kind of gave us a spark to kind of take off. And that was 100 um, percent Wendy Williams. Obviously, right now, and most of your audience, those are as this, you know, larger than life TV host. At the time, mm-hmm. she had a radio, a radio show um, and she would constantly talk about media takeout. And she, every time that she would mention one of our stories, it would, it would perform extraordinarily well. And eventually, she, and she would do this routinely, so maybe every two days or three days, she'd mention media takeout, we'd get a huge traffic spike. And eventually, over time, a lot of her fans, and she had millions of those, became media takeout fans as well. And so we were able to kind of grow um, using her audience. Scoop B
1: Radio. <laughs> and this was like Charlamagne, Wendy Williams, co-host days on 107.5 WBLS, correct?
2: Yeah, yeah, this is way back then. Charlemagne, he was fresh from South Carolina. He had just got into the, the, the radio business, and and there was Wendy Williams. Obviously, she was who she was. She was a, a big star then and obviously a big star now. Um, and then there was me, and we, me and Charlemagne kind of came up together. And I mean, you know, we were friends then and we're friends now, and we still talk about it. And I, I, I bring it up to him, you know, how we had nothing. We were both completely flat broke you know, just showing up and trying to kind of get it together. And now to look, you know, 15 years in the future and kind of see the transformation that's gone on in his life, my life.
1: It's actually, it's, it's, it's a great thing to see. hung on the line with Scoopy Radio, talking all things at media takeout. You, are you a gamer, by chance? I'm not. I'm not. but My kids are. Okay. So this this uh reference you'll probably able be able to to, to fathom because um your your kids are uh gamers so so bear with me. Um the video game NBA 2K you you and and the game Madden are you kind of familiar with those games at all? Uh yeah, yeah, I'm definitely familiar with those. Okay, so uh, today the NFL uh, and 2K announced a partnership to produce multiple new video games. Uh, 2K stopped making games, uh, I want to say, in 2004 for the NFL uh, platform. Um, but today they announced that they're likely to start making games. And, you know, back then that that gaming process was, was ahead of its time, like you were talking like 2001, 2002, 2003, and, and, and 2004. And so at that point, you know, they were competing with – Madden and and Madden didn't like that, so they bought some rights and basically 2K was out the picture. Um, fast forward to you, uh, when I look at media takeout, um, it was ahead of its time. Uh, it was it was beating it was beating mainstream sites to news that you think that they would know because it was mainstream sites. Where am I going with this? Well, I feel like 2K was ahead of its time. Media takeout was ahead of its time, particularly because you see a lot of independent writers or independent journalists getting information. If media takeout was to start today, do you think you'd be kicking some ass like you were back then now?
2: I think it's totally different. The media market is completely different today than it was back then. Um, I think the opportunities are different today than they were then, um, some of them, and some of them are the same. So to give you an example, so when we started back then, there was a ton of African American and sort of black media, but they were all essentially print or TV or radio. Mm-hmm. So they didn't have there was black media was existed, but it just didn't exist in this one area which was digital. So essentially at the time, if you if you, you know, had some degree of business acumen and you created an African American Digital platform, this is back in 2006, you were Mm -hmm. almost guaranteed to be successful because the world was kind of moving on to digital from kind of print and TV and media, uh, print TV and and, uh, radio. And, but there wasn't really, so there was a ton of demand in digital, but there wasn't a ton of places to go. Now the world is, is different in the sense that there really isn't a lot of black media out there anymore. Um, but there's tons of it in the digital space. So the opportunities, I think if I were to, you know, if I were to start completely over right now in 2009, sorry, 2020, I think the opportunities may be less so in places like digital media or traditional or what we consider to be digital media and the opportunities would be bigger outside. Obviously, I don't think that there's much life in print, but in places like TV, I think there's a tremendous opportunity there. So, you know, if I were to do it again, I would, you know, I would assess the market differently, um, enter it differently. Um, but I think I'd probably use the same tactics that I used then.
1: What are some of the things that mainstream media, uh, or, or, I, I don't know if the word is tactics, but what are some of the... Do you feel that people discredited you? And at what point do you feel that you got the respect that you rightfully deserved? You know, especially
2: being black, I don't think you ever really get the respect that you deserve. Um, but you have to, that's, that's been the case. I think that is the case for black people um, and prob- possibly other underrepresented minorities. Um, and that's going to be the case throughout your life. So I think, you once you put that to the side, um, I guess the, the 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 then the question is when did you ever feel like you were getting you know some degree of respect? And I think that's when we started, as the numbers on Media the numbers of of all the websites are public to all the different publishers. So I know what the numbers are for TMZ, and I know and TMZ knows what the numbers are for me, and so it's a, it's a competitive landscape where everyone knows what everyone else is doing. And pretty quickly, we started doing the kind of numbers that were making us, you know, as a, as a small niche, African-American media company, we were doing numbers that were beating some of the larger, more well-financed mainstream entertainment media companies. And that's
1: when I think the, you know, quote unquote respect started to come in. You mentioned TMZ. Help me understand something as, a, as an NBA writer uh, myself. TMZ broke the story of Kobe Bryant's helicopter accident uh, back in January. Tragic event. From right. your perspective and your expertise, would Media Takeout ever run something like that the way they did if you had the information nailed down?
2: I don't know. And, you know, I, I think some people would say, oh, of course you would. But we've sat on stories, big stories, um, oft, when we do that often. And I think the, the idea behind it is you really don't, and, and, you know, and this is probably a theme that you're going to constantly see throughout this interview, is that the number one most important thing to us is to please our audience. Right. And sometimes pleasing your audience is getting you the story as quickly as possible. But sometimes there's certain stories – that your audience might not want from you as quickly as possible. You know, they might for a second there be like, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm grateful that you gave me this news. But after they finish reading the story and after they got the news, they, you might leave them with just a, with a really bad taste in their mouth. And I think that's the case with that Kobe Bryant story. Yes, it was a big news story to break. Yes, it probably got a lot of traffic. But after the traffic, you know, after the traffic bump is over, Um, what are audiences thinking about your company? Do they still feel good about logging on every morning and reading you? And I think in that case, um, I think there's a lot of people that reading the story and reading how they did it, breaking the news story before members of Kobe's own family knew about it, putting it out there. um, I think a lot of people just don't feel good about the way that that story is reported. And I think in the end, if you add up you know the big traffic bump that they got, and you add up probably the large amount of people that are probably going to be unsubscribing from TMZ because they just don't like the way it was handled. I think if you balance that out, I think even they would probably say that that wasn't the right way to report the story.
1: Hmm. Yeah, that, that's a that's a journalistic. I feel like it, 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 it's the intersection between journalism, law, and and, and gossip. Um, and there's even levels to gossip, particularly because Kobe was so beloved by basketball fans, people that were in Los Angeles. And I think it's, I think it's the way that he and both his daughter died with seven other people in a plane. That's kind of just like, it, it left a bad taste in people's mouth.
2: Right. And I mean, there, there were other ways that you could have reported. You could have reported, I mean, they could have just started out with, you know, a a helicopter crash believed to be in a celebrity on board. And I think that would have gotten a large number of people to watch it, to look at it anyway. And then after they realized when they, when they were certain that Kobe's family found out about it and everything else, then if they reported it after, I think everybody would have been, the, you know, would have been happy with the reporting. They would have said, "Wow, well, you know, TMC did a really good job in reporting this, but by doing it the way that they did, they, they, Erased all the goodwill that they would have gotten from breaking a a big story. Because, you know, when you break a big story, you get two things. One, you get a traffic bump. So you get a bunch of new people that are visiting your site, and you could sell advertising on it and whatever else. So that's part one. And that usually, for most um, digital media people, that's not as important as the second piece. The second piece that you get is you're gaining goodwill from your readership. So your readers are saying, hey – this is the kind of place that breaks the stories quicker than everybody else. They have all the facts. They're putting it all together in a way that you know that's um, that I like. And so I want to include. You know, there's thousands of different websites out there. There's you know tons of social media play, uh, platforms. But I'm going to make sure that this is one place that I visit frequently. And that's what you want to do when you're breaking a big story. That's the most important thing to try to do when you break a big story. And like I said. I don't know that they got that. They got the first, the first piece, which was the traffic bump, but they didn't get the second piece, which, like I said, I think most people in digital media would say that's the more important piece of it.
1: Help me understand something. Um, you, for MTO News, uh, broke uh, or gave information to uh, your subscribers uh, to Michael Jordan's divorce. Michael has always been very private, and I feel like in the last 10 years, you've gotten to see more of Michael's humanity. You know, there's almost like this cult godlike respect that people have, particularly basketball fans of Michael. Um, And, you know, in recent years, you've heard some stories about Michael as it relates to just how human he is. I think even the the speech that he gave at Kobe Bryant's um, memorial where he talked about the crying journey made him seem more human. Did you get kickback for that story?
2: Oh yeah, we get we we you always get kickback from stories, right? Like a lot of times you'll get denial, so you can have a story that's one hundred percent true, and the people just say no, it's not true, right? Um, and then you have to figure out what you do at that point, right? Like how how certain are you are with the story? You know how, how if if you are certain and they're denying it, why are they denying it? Maybe you know need to do a little bit more research on it so we definitely got pushed back from that story but that's nothing new right like we've been doing this we've been in the game for a long time we've been breaking stories for a long time you know and so remember too a lot of the stories that we break are great for the celebrities in fact the majority of the time that we're writing about a particular celebrity they're usually fairly happy with it and every once in a while when they do something crazy we report on that, then they're unhappy about it, right? So a lot of times the relationships that you have with celebrities are not just one-off. It's not just about the story, the one story that you break that they don't like. You've already, you have a relationship, a long-standing relationship, maybe when they're releasing a new album or they're releasing a new movie, or they want to do something charitable. They're reaching out to you and asking you to help get the word out about that. And so you have a, you know, you have a relationship with them. And they're going to continue, right? So even after you have the story that maybe they're, they don't, they're unhappy with or maybe they feel embarrassed by, in two weeks, they got a movie coming out and they're going to come right back to you and you're going to be able to mend that relationship. So once you realize that you're, you're looking at the long game, you know, always, it's not just about trying to win today. I mean, that's important too, but you're looking at the, long, the long-term horizon also. And so the blowback that you get, yes, that's something that you have to deal with today, but realizing that, you know, a month, two months, three months down the line, this will all blow over. Um, and then you'll have, you'll be able to restart the relationship with these people.
1: Media takeouts, Fred Mawanga on the line, out Copey Radio, Subscribing coming on platform. We talked about your, your formidable years, uh, being a corporate lawyer, working on Wall Street. uh, What I found interesting, uh, you were born to Uganda parents in Washington, D.C. And in my friendships with people who are African or Indian or or Asian, their parents are strictly on the books, meaning, you know, focus on school, go to college, get a good-paying job, and start your life. When you decided to make the transition from law and Wall Street Comedia. How did your parents receive that? Oh, they absolutely hated it. I mean, think about it, right?
2: Like my (laughs) parents, they sacrificed everything, right? Like they basically left Uganda with the clothes on their back to basically come here to the United States. To give their children this education so that they can go on and become doctors and lawyers and a poor whatever it is, and at least in my case, it looks like like they won, right? Like they they got a son, and they, you know, I, I grew up in the 80s and 90s in New York, was able to kind of get out without you know being in prison and graduate from college and then graduate from law school and then work on Wall Street and get this great job. To them, it was like, okay, just continue down this road and everything's going to be great. And now I disrupted the whole thing by saying, no, I'm going to basically throw my degrees in the trash and I'm going to be a gossip columnist. Right. So they definitely didn't like that idea. Um, and I think it, 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 it took them a while to kind of come around to it. When they didn't understand what we were doing, they still, I'm pretty sure, don't even really understand the Internet. Um, and they didn't understand what we were talking about, how you can make money off of it, what you can do. In um, time, I think they started figuring it out when they'd see, maybe they'd see me on TV and they'd be like, wow, my son's on TV. Well, how that happen? Right. Or, or one of their friends would say, oh, your son, your, I heard your son owns this. And then they started saying, okay, well, you know, I still don't understand what he's doing and how it works or anything like that, but seems to be doing fine. And so uh, we accept it. So I think it, it took them a while to come around to it. Years and years and years after most people would have thought that, you know, I was a success. They finally came around.
1: Yeah, no, I believe that the people think the money's there before it's actually there. Right. Scoopy Radio right on the line. Fred, for you, um, we're going into an election year, or well, we are in an election year. We're dealing with coronavirus. Uh, we're dealing with Kobe Bryant's death. We're dealing with the president tweeting like crazy. Um, in your mind, where what is the next thing in media that people should be paying attention to as far as trends and how news is getting out that hasn't, that's not really paid attention to that will be a thing maybe a year from now, maybe two years from now.
2: I think that the way that we consume news is just, is fundamentally changing right now in a way that I think most people don't particularly understand. Right. I think social media, first we had, kind of websites and blogs that would kind of produce content. And that was kind of it. So you had like the old, old media, like magazines and TV. And then you had this new, you know, new blog media, which was where people where kind of the new news was coming from. And that was, you know, for maybe that lasted about 10 years. And social media took off. And now, and then I think a lot of people were like, oh, you know, this is where we get news is from social media. And that worked for a little while, but I think, because of the proliferation of fake news um, and just people just posting all kinds of random things out there, people are, are, there's a hunger right now for more newsy stuff. And I think it's at the same time, you, you're not necessarily hearing this, right? Like you're hearing all these different big media companies are running, are having all this trouble. Media companies are closing left and right. But at the same time, I see, it. I see it, obviously, with the numbers, and I think that the people that can survive through this are going to see, and there, or there's a new resurgence in kind of, I don't want to call it traditional media because I think the media companies are different, but people actually wanting to read an article by a place that they believe in. They don't want to just see you know, a tweet or a Facebook or Instagram share or a meme. They actually want to know especially when you do, right? Like, so a lot of times you'll see something on Instagram. You might see uh, a meme about Kobe Bryant or a meme about Kobe Bryant in the game. And maybe you can kind of understand what they're talking about, but a lot of times you don't. A lot of times you're like, okay, well, what what are they really trying to say in that meme? And then people will say, okay, well, let me just leave Instagram. Maybe I'll do a Google search and search the game and, and Kobe Bryant and then read an article, which explains why that meme is there. What it is that they were kind of dealing what 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 is it they were um the meme was getting at, um and so, like I said, I think there's just there's a new resurgence now in traditional news that I think wasn't there five years ago or three
1: years ago when you look at the Kardashian effect of just the blurring of influencer newsmaker, celebrity, and more, do you think that the, I guess the next wave of of newsmakers in that regard, who do you think will replace that or have that Kardashian wave when it comes to bloggers making their payday off of uh, newsmakers like them? Who's next? Well, I think that, you know, a lot of times people look at like,
2: take a look at like someone like Kim Kardashian or Kylie Jenner and say, wow, this is something new in the social media era. It really isn't. We always had celebrities And we assumed that the people that we thought of that were celebrities were the people that we thought of were kind of artists, either were recording artists or actors or, you know, um, sports people, sports stars. And that's the way that we think that that's the way it was, you know, 30 years ago in the 1980s, let's say. And that's partially true and it's partially not. When you think about who the big stars in the 1980s were, there were stars that were Michael Jackson, right? He was, a, he was a singer, and yes, he was there. But then you look at other people, right? Like Elizabeth Taylor was a huge hmm. star in the 1980s. And what is it that Elizabeth Taylor did in the 1980s to make her a star? I think she her last movie was in like 1969, right? So she was a retired, older movie star. But yeah, she was one of the biggest stars in the world. How How is that possible? Right? She wasn't making any movies. She wasn't selling. She wasn't... Um, um singing, she wasn't an athlete. So how was she how was she one of the most one of the biggest stars in the world? And the thing is she was actually using a lot of the tactics that you see the Kardashians using now. Right? Think about it. She had like eight husbands. She was, you know, she was she made friends with people like Michael Jackson, like right, so she had these huge bunch of celebrity friends. She had a ton of scandals in her personal life. And she just was really an interesting person because it was a name that everybody knew as a movie star from, you know, 12 years ago, earlier. And she had this really crazy, interesting life. So what she did in the 1980s is very close to what Kim Kardashian is doing right now. She all, obviously she wasn't a movie star from 12 years ago, but she's a name that everybody knows that lived for a large portion of her life, a scandalous life. And she was good to look at. And so she became a star. And so when I think five years from now, 10 years from now, who's going to be the next person? It's going to be someone just like that. Another good looking woman with a scandalous life that there's some aspirational value to her. Maybe she hangs around with a bunch of celebrities and in what medium that she uses, whereas, you know, um, Elizabeth Taylor used tabloids like the national Enquirer can use social media and blogs, and the next person is going to use
1: whatever it is that they're available at the time. The game is all of experience. No, that that makes sense. As you're talking, I'm even thinking about Madonna. Yeah, yeah, right. You have a lot of experience, uh, particularly pre-digital age as it relates to Instagram and more, and you're still in it. In that swim lane, um, have you thought about, or maybe you are teaching any college courses on how to create your own brand and your own news organization on the college level? I've thought about, I thought about that a lot. Um, not so much,
2: you know, teaching college courses. Maybe it was I, I thought about writing a book about it. I thought about doing a series of lectures. And when I'm saying that, I'm not even saying this as a, as like a financial reason, right? Like, I just think that there's a lot that I learned over the course of, you know, my 15 years in digital media and as an entrepreneur and as a black person that I'd love to be able to pass this stuff on. I know when I was starting out, I would love for there to have been someone that would basically help me along explain certain things to me, explain why I should do certain things and why I shouldn't explain kind of the way to look at markets. It's all, I kind of had to learn all this on my own and I, it it, it almost feels selfish to not share it with people. So I try and do a lot of media. I'm trying to do a lot more um, um, podcasts and uh, we have some TV appearances and stuff where I can kind of give this information out to people so that, they don't have to kind of get it the hard way like I did. Um, as far as teaching college courses and stuff like that, I just really don't have the time. I mean, I'm running this business, there's uh, tons to do behind, behind the scenes on this. I have a family too, and so there's only so much that I can do. Um, but as far as kind of trying to give people the information that I learned, I'm trying, I'm trying to figure out a way to, to do that effectively.
1: That's real. What's next for you?
2: Uh, you know, right now, I'm 100% focused on media takeout. I think there are tremendous opportunities in media and digital media, um, especially because I think there's been such a downturn in the market that there's, you know, whenever there's a downturn and you, you see people kind of moving out of the industry, that's when the real opportunities are there. And so we're looking at opportunities. We're looking at partnerships with more kind of Older, traditional African-American media companies um, and just kind of bring these kind of bring the transition that we helped bring in um, in 2006 when the blogs kind of came on. Bring this new transition in um, towards more traditional news media uh, in the 2020s.
1: Fred, guess what? What's that? You're off the hot seat. (laughs) (laughs) all right dude it was good being on it yes sir thank you so much for joining the podcast today i learned a lot about you and um what you said is valuable I, i definitely dug what you said particularly about the stuff about kobe and about michael and you know how to be independent and how to transition and how to you know maintain being yourself that's enviable of a lot of people to live life on your terms and you seem to have done that seamlessly Yeah, man. I mean, that's what it's all about. Whenever anyone's
2: going into entrepreneurship, that's what they're really looking for. They're looking for kind of do something with meaning and do something that they love um, and to be rewarded for it.
1: That's it, brother. Thank you so much, man. Thank you.
0: (laughs) Have a catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row, dreaming of something better. Well.